This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code SPEAKING. Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on BitChute and YouTube as Speaking Podcast. I also have the Awakening Podcast, the Learn Polish Podcast, the Meditation, and the new Crypto Podcast, and all can be found on rycon.com. Today, my guest, fellow Irishman, please welcome, Irvin Nugent. Roy, thanks so much for the invite. So, like... I, I've read a lot about you. I've seen some of the things, but I'd like you to, first of all, let the listeners know who you are. Sure. Uh, so as you said, I, I'm originally from uh, Northern Ireland. I grew up there, but now I live just outside of Washington, D.C. here in the U.S. And primarily my work focuses on emotional intelligence. I work with uh, leaders and organizations. Um, I help them become more uh, emotionally aware, emotionally intelligent, so that they can harness the power of their emotions, that they're better able to make better decisions, to make deeper connections, and to have influence. Uh, and uh, I do that in a number of different ways, through speaking and training uh, opportunities, and also through coaching. Excellent. And I want to ask about your journey growing up, because I know you were in the troubled times, and I want to know about your speaking. But first of all, I'd want to know about what's in the background, because it looks cool. <laughs> the, the... Uh, yeah, so one of one of my favorite movies, of course, is Inside Out. And actually, the scientific advisor of Inside Out was a guy called uh, Paul Ekman, who really is the, the grandfather of all uh, research on emotions. And so the characters behind my shoulder here are the five different emotions that were displayed in the movie. Uh, you've got uh, anger and sadness and happiness and fear and contempt. And there are seven universal emotions, and those are five of those emotions. Excellent. Yeah, no, brilliant. Yeah, that's a good way of uh, showing it. And uh, yeah, I think people will remember it as well, especially uh, all ages. So nice. Yeah. When you were growing up, because like, how did you get into the, the speaking? Because I know that you were a priest as well. And I want to hear about that. But just as a, as a young man, how, how did it, uh, how was your speaking journey? Um, so uh, interesting. I think um, the first, I think the first thing that I'm aware of in school that I was good at. Um, I, I was an average sports person and an average and different things. But but uh, when I was in school, they started a debate team. And and I, I turned, turned up for the practice and I just fell in love. I fell in love with uh, the 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 um, kind of the the challenge of, of trying to put in a number of minutes uh, a persuasive argument. And, uh, and we had some really uh, funny times. We had uh, a lot of creativity. And so for me, it was just like, wow, th this, is, this is my thing. This is something that I really enjoy doing. And something that most people don't enjoy doing, and in fact, are terrified of doing, was something that was kind of a secret sauce for me. So that's kind of the first time I'm aware that uh, speaking was um, something I really enjoy doing. And then kind of it's really been part of what I've done throughout my whole life in, in many different ways. And like you, you were a priest for 10 years, I believe. I was, I was. So coming out of, um, you know, you, you alluded to the fact that uh, I grew up in Northern Ireland. I am um, what they call a child of the troubles. I, I was born about the year they began. And so the backdrop to growing up for me was, was this, society in chaos that had broken down and had turned to armed conflict. 
and um, uh, personally affected with my family. We we uh, owned a pub and we we uh, lived above it, and we were blowing up in a in a bombing uh, when I was six. And you know, I think that's placed in my heart a um, a lot of questions around why do we do the things we do, and why do we um, why why is society so broken? Why why is and and just all the different hatreds, etc. And I think part of that response for me was priesthood. Um, for me, I saw it as a way of healing and bringing healing, uh, which is very important. I think that's a theme throughout my life. However, um, I didn't stay in Ireland. I came to the U.S. And uh, throughout the 10 years, I did um, kind of unusual things that priests, uh, for, for priests, uh, I worked with uh, Guatemalan refugees in the Civil War and, um, and helped uh, refugees who were fleeing and resettling in the U.S. and South Florida. And then I also was president of Catholic Charities, so ran a big uh, um, um, charity outfit as well. So it was kind of, I did things that, that are normally not accustomed, but again, many, many different opportunities then of speaking and um, being persuasive. And, and I think that was part as well of, of how I use speaking um, in the role of healing. Excellent. And like the emotional intelligence I've I've read uh, I forget the name of the guy's book one of the books I read years ago and it intrigued me and like because in the school or in life it tends to be on memory and nothing about the other characteristics that you can have so you might just kind of what you've noticed about that because I know you've spoke in a lot of prestigious places and you know, all over the world the Marriott the FDA NASA and everything so you might watch how what's your secret sauce on that you know, so uh, it's interesting, you know, we go to school and we learn all these great things and nowhere, nowhere are we taught about our emotions. And it's almost like, well, we'll you'll pick that up. That, that'll come naturally. And for some people, you know, who have good socialization skills, it does. They, they, they kind of grow up in healthy families. They grow up in where they're able to kind of assimilate good emotional intelligence. But for most people, it's a mystery. And, um, and I, I work, you know, in, in organizations where, when you get to the core of what's going on, when you get to the core of what is a problem, it's emotion that is a driving that. In the, the leader's inability to understand uh, what's happening emotionally in their own lives, to understand how emotions are impacting how they show up and they interact with other people. And, uh, and so therefore, what I have found is that most people are incredibly open to, to really having some methods and tools for beginning to realize uh, the impact of their emotions and how to manage their emotions so that they can use that as a force that is helpful rather than something that's destructive. I see that you, because I have to look at it here, that uh, you, you're qualified as FACS coder. So uh, a fax coder. Fax coder, I've never heard of that before, but it's basically reading uh, facial emotions, yeah? Yeah, it's, it's a, a facial action coding system. And so part of the research and, and from the scientific, uh, from the science of AFACT is, uh, effect is that, uh, and the gentleman that I talked about before, Paul Ekman, he actually coded the 42 muscles of the face and how they move. And we know that there are 10,000 different movements of those muscles, but we also know that certain configurations also um, are emotions which are universal. And so you can learn um, how to, um, observe those those muscles as they move to be able to observe some of the emotions in people's faces even when they are trying to hide them because emotions are so quick that uh, even uh, if you're trying to suppress that emotion 
um, before you become a conscious that you have that emotion, it already has leaked out a little bit and you're able to pick that up if you're alert to it. And uh, we call those micro expressions. And like online then, is, is it still, because obviously when you're with somebody, but is, are you still able to apply it online? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always say to people, you know, there are five, five modes of data that are coming towards you when you're talking to a person. You're looking at the facial expression, their body language, their voice, their, their uh, vocal content, and then the flow of the conversation. So online, you're getting all of that. And if you're observant to that, um, you're able to pick it up. Now, when the problem comes when people start turning off their cameras, and then you kind of knock out that and you knock out the body language, but you still have the voice as well, which is really important. Um, one, one little tip that I would always give for Zoom is something very unnatural happens virtually. And that is um, unlike in real conversation, we actually are looking at ourselves at times speaking and that's super unnatural. And so therefore it adds to distraction. And so we don't really pick it up. There's actually a setting in Zoom. I'm not sure about the other platforms, but certainly in Zoom where you can not just, um, it's not turning off your camera, but it actually turns off you seeing yourself. And I always say to people, that's really helpful because then it uh, helps you engage in a more natural conversation and helps you become more observant. Because no, because it was kind of freezing. I've changed the settings because now I have the split screen and now I'm like a tiny little box up the top. So it's not distracting, but I've noticed that because, you know, you do see it. And what I, what I did is actually I squeeze it in because if the, if it's, you know, if I was looking like that, I'm not really, yeah. you don't think I'm engaging, but I could be looking at you. But so when I squeeze it in, I'm looking at, you know, but I know I'm not looking at the camera, but it's as close as you get, because I prefer to look at you, see your reactions and just kind of engage, you know, that's the way I prefer to have the conversation by actually looking at you rather than the camera. I know people say, look at the camera, like, no, but uh, I, I prefer actually talking to the person while, while I'm watching you speak. Yeah, and it's, it's actually, you know, Roy, it's, it's, a, it's a big issue. There's actually a, a little device that I just heard about, which um, I think is called PlexiCam, which lets you move your, your cam down right to your eye level. So you actually have the cam in front of you with the person because this is, this is a disconnect, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and it is, and it kind of is one of the reasons why maybe the virtual experience is not as rich maybe as an in-person. Um, so I think anything we can do to, to help us uh, make eye contact and have conversation, the better. Definitely. So I know that you do some keynotes. So you might let me know about one, how you're landing these big boys, because, you know, you've got an impressive uh, list of clients that you've got. And two, how you structure your keynotes. Yeah. So I um, so at the moment, my main keynote actually is I just published a book uh, which came out in March, which kind of brings Mary's my childhood upbringing uh, to emotional intelligence It's called Leadership Lessons from the Pub. And uh, and basically, that's also the title of my keynote. And uh, what I try and do in that with that keynote is um, I try and examine, you know, what is it um, that leaders need to hear in the workplace at the moment? And one of the things I, I hear time and time again is lack of engagement. And so really at the core of, of the keynote, I'm talking about how emotionally intelligent leaders create workspaces that are more human. And, uh, and I use the backdrop of, of growing up in the pub to kind of bring out some fun lessons. Um, so the way I structure the keynote is um, if, the keynote's about an hour. And I have uh, an introductory story, which is kind of a powerful story to begin to kind of hook people in. And then I kind of take them on a journey. And that journey, you know, touches on three main points. 
which I kind of think for me is a great structure because it enables me to kind of play around with the idea and then uh, finish with a powerful ending as well. So it's a, it's a very simple structure, but it's one that I think um, helps me and also helps uh, drive engagement from the audience. And the picture is excellent of you in the bar holding uh, the Guinness. It's a, a nice a, a nice book cover. Uh, I, and actually, it's a funny story about that. So that that was in a, at a pub in D.C. He's a good friend of mine. He's uh, from Roscommon. And uh, they, he said, well, do you want to pour a pint? And I said, God, I haven't poured a pint for like 30 years. So I said, the pressure was on. And as I was pouring the pint of Guinness, but he said, well, not bad, not bad. I said, you know, it's kind of like riding a bike. Once you learn to pour a Guinness, you never forget. Oh, brilliant. And like with the qualifications that you've got, do you find yourself analyzing people constantly or are you able to switch off? You know, it's an interesting question. I think so. It's it's like a muscle. You know, once once you train a muscle, you can't really untrain that muscle. And I think, you know, part of it, just because you're able to read people doesn't mean that you you inter inter, you know, inter, interact with that. You know, so you may see a person say, with an anger smile or an anger emotion at you. And, and that doesn't mean, oh my God, I just saw you angry. It's just, you know, it's kind of dating. You kind of, and at times you just become more relaxed and you kind of, you know, ignore it, et cetera. And you, you kind of use it when it's uh, of advantage. What I've noticed with myself, because, you know, when I'm editing and sometimes looking at the video, like, cause I do live calls uh, sometimes twice a week for like two hours with, you know, the doctors and everything. And the pro like when I'm engaged and having the conversation, it's all grand. But I see that sometimes when I just sit there, it looks like I'm depressed, but I'm not, I'm in a great mood, but it's just, yeah. and I, I don't know what that's about. Cause I've even, I remember, cause I even started thinking that one guy who's be asking a friend of mine, he's like, are you worried? And I'm like, I'm grand. And this is, come back just being out in the garden and is that my like thinking head or what because i know i'm in a good zone like yeah so it could be I mean, it's interesting you mentioned today you're doing editing so so you know whenever um very often sometimes emotions are confused with what we call cognitive load so whenever we're, we're thinking or we're doing we're focusing on on an activity it's amazing you know kind of the, the how how that's expressed in the face can almost appear like for some people it always appear that they're angry but they're not they're just intensely focused and for some people then misinterpret that and very often we can we can misinterpret say someone really having in in kind of with cognitive of load and and thinking about something and really what they're doing that's what they're doing rather than expressing a particular emotion so that's probably what people are picking up from you no oh, excellent uh, so you do workshops as well yeah i do so you might tell yeah, me so about them yeah, so I do uh, workshops basically uh, around the, the area of emotional intelligence. And, and um, you know, when it, when it comes to emotional intelligence, I like to describe it in four different ways what I'm trying to help people do. I'm trying to help people first be able to read themselves and have um, self-awareness. And so sometimes what I'll use is some assessment tools that will help people become more aware of their behaviors, become more aware of, um, uh, of, of how they're showing up in conversations. Um, and then uh, self-management. So I, I help people um, with tools to concrete tools to in the midst of an emotion, say in the midst of a triggering event, to have some tools to help them manage that. Um, recognition of others. So part of the training I do is helping people read people's faces, um, grow their empathy so they can make greater connection, um, deal with conflict in the moment, and then also then engage with others. And so we'll do that through helping people with decision making, uh, conflict management, team building, etc. So all of the workshops are around each one um, of those four quadrants. 
And, and the goal, of course, is helping people become more emotionally intelligent. And how hard is it? Because, like, I know it's my strength, but I see some people and, you know, they're way out there. Is it possible to actually help people? To, and how long does it take? What's, I know you mentioned you've got some tests, but, like, when you know somebody is just totally disengaged, they don't really get other people. Is it possible that they can actually, you know, get around that? It's a great question. I, so the good news is yes. Uh, unlike uh, your IQ, EQ uh, grows throughout your life or can grow throughout your life. Um, when you're 17, you're kind of, your IQ has reached its peak and, and that's it. And then it declines as you get older. But with EQ, you, you can, there's practical things that you can do to help a person grow in their awareness, grow in seeing other people, um, etc. And, and, you know, very often um, what I try and bring is, is a scientific approach. So I, I'll work with, um, you know, you mentioned kind of NASA, NIH, etc. I've worked with very scientific communities where people like, you know, the, the last thing they, they want is like, just don't, don't bring emotions into this. We just want it very cold and clinical. And, you know, that's not how we operate. So you can help people begin to notice um, emotions in other pe uh, people's faces. You can help people begin to read the room. You can help people begin to read some of the nonverbal signs that are, are coming in. And then you can help people begin to aware, you know, what are some emotional triggers that are happening to them? What's that? What's some of their emotional patterns? And now, of course, the, the premise of all this, it needs an open person. So it needs a person who wants to learn, who sees the value in this. But absolutely, there, there is uh, people can make tremendous progress in becoming more emotionally intelligent. Excellent. That's good. That's good to hear. And uh, yeah. so you're a coach as well. So is it based on the same thing or what's your coaching around? Yeah, so the coaching as well is um, in, in aspects of, of leadership. So I will, I tend to specialize now in helping people become more emotionally intelligent. And then also um, some speak, speaking coaching as well around communication and how to communicate. So basically the coaching is around those topics. Yeah. Okay. And I know that you kind of touch on the storytelling as well as you might tell me a bit about that. Yeah, you know, um, so I mean, story is part of the human DNA. And um, when it comes to, you know, the, the primary, I always say the, the, the primary purpose of a story is to listen to emotion. And if you want to connect with another human being, then there's no powerful, more powerful vehicle, I believe, than a story. Because um, just scientifically, we know that when we listen to a story, you know, we're not just hearing words. It's interesting that put people in, in um, fMRI machines and they've kind of looked at their brain and said, what's, what's lighting up when they hear a story? And the surprise there was, you know, well, the parts of the brain that process words was lit up. Yep, that's, that's well, what they didn't expect was other parts of the brain were, were lighting up depending on what. Uh, part of the story was being read. So when there was, say, action in the story, like Peter kicked the ball, well, the part of the motor co cortex that, that processes um, action was lit, lit up. Or part of the, the brain that deals with smell when the story had, you know, the, the wood smelt damp lights up as well. So from that, we know then that something interesting is happening. When we hear a story, we're actually, it's almost like we're immersing ourselves in the story. We begin to live the story ourselves. And um, if there's an image I use with telling a story, it's like a flight simulator. So it's almost we're in that flight simulator as well. And that's why stories um, have such an incredible stickiness with us. Um, you know, I always tell leaders, 
you know, if you give a presentation and you, um, and it's full of dry statistics, et cetera, and people leave the room, you know, they're probably not going to remember any of it. But if you're able to put those statistics into a meaningful story that's able to express that, and people walk out the room and you say, what did you remember about that? They'll remember the story. And so um, stories have a, a, a tremendous power to help people become emotionally engaged with a vision, become emotionally engaged with an idea or a thought and used well, um, they are super powerful. I remember reading a book, I think it was from a Dan Danish guy, uh, Biology, B-U-Y, and it was on about the parts of the brain lighting up. And like, for example, you know, if I saw my favorite beverage, you know, since you're in the pub book, your book with the pub, that that would light up the same as, say, if you were the priest and the religion, you know, just the same yeah. kind of thing. So it's and also the, what I remember reading and it was kind of shocking, actually, is all these kind of anti-cancer posters. They were acting as triggers to make people want to light up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, you know, we know that we know that even in buying, we know that when we buy things, we normally buy emotionally. However, what happens after that is, and this is where we, we think differently is that we then use um, logical arguments for why we bought, you know, and, and, and we think then we're being very logical, but in reality, you know, the emotions being involved there. And then we kind of want to add logic to that. So there is this process and, and it is a mystery. We're still discovering, you know, every day kind of new insights into the brain and, and how we function. When, when you're speaking then, like if, if you're on stage, are you just going from memory or what's your kind of strategy? Because everybody's got their own kind of different ways. Some people yeah. practice a hundred times, others just kind of have an intro and a conclusion with a few bullet points, like to know your way. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, um, I find that if I over-practice, I get stale. So I do like, I, I am very much um, in, um, in the moment. Now that doesn't mean that I know, uh, I don't, I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly the content. But as well as that, there is an unspoken dynamic that's happening. So there are things like, for example, when you walk onto a stage, one of the things that, that I'm reading is the energy of, of, of the people in front of me. Because I think that's something you can predetermine. You, you, can, you can ask about where they're at in a company or what's happening. But you know, you, you go into a, an audience and you see there's high energy there and you can feed of that energy. But if you go into an audience and there's like, I've gone into situations where I have come after the CEO who has just told some pretty devastating news and the energy's down here. Now, if I go in and say, hey, everyone, it's wonderful. You know, there's a mismatch there. So, so part of that, what I'll do is kind of, where's the energy? Where's the energy taking me? And, and I can raise that, but I've got to be sensitive to it. Um, I'll go in with, 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 a, with an opening. My, my opening is always solid it's uh, I, I know exactly what i'm going to say uh, i know how it's going to be phrased and then i'll go in you know part of what i'll do in the, the research depending on the audience as well as I'll, I'll try and customize it as well so i'm trying to bring in some information 
um, uh, from the audience. Um, I always try and make a few phone calls to people that are going to be there. So I get an idea of, of where they're at and kind of what's happening within the company. Um, so I try and personalize it as well that I'm using real examples from depending on who the organization is. Um, I'll even try and call out a few people in the audience who I've already spoken with as well. And, uh, and then again, at the end, uh, absolutely, I'll, I'll have that, uh, you know, determined uh, of where I'll be. And then some of the, some of the other things that, um, that are important for me, um, you know, uh, sometimes uh, speakers will run over. So when you're going on stage, say at, at uh, 12 o'clock and, and you don't get to go to 1210, you know, sometimes I'll say to the meeting planner is, is it more important that I deliver an hour of content or is it more important that I finish at one o'clock? And they look at me and they say, if you can finish at one o'clock, you'll be my hero. Um, so, so, you know, to be able to, to, to have in your mind as well, um, different eventualities are important. Excellent. So finally, you might give me a breakdown of the book because I'd like to know what you've covered inside your book. So the book is, yeah, I, I pull out seven different lessons uh, that uh, I see in the public. Where I came from that is, you know, I, I've coached a lot of leaders. And one of the main things I hear at the moment is engagement. How do you create more human workplaces? And so it got me curious about the pub. What is it about, you know, here's this institution, hundreds of years old, people call it their local and interesting things happen there. There, there is a, people don't feel they have to go there being perfect people. They can be vulnerable. They tell stories, they laugh. They, they're, they, uh, there's no elitism there, you know, kind of people, you can sit down and talk with whoever there's community there so that that I was curious so then the lessons I pulled out for that is um, you know my as, as the bar owner uh, you get to set the tone so I talk a little bit about uh, the power of leaders to set the tone uh, I talk about triggering and being emotionally triggered and and, um, uh, and to know your triggers uh, I talk about uh, the power of story and how story can transform um, I talk about community and building community what does it mean to build an inclusive community which invites everyone to the table. Um, I also looked at a conflict, uh, you know, because conflict's part of the pub as well. And so then how does that translate some of the lessons into the pub? And then finally, I talk about presence and the power of presence with each other. And I actually bring in another idea from Celtic spirituality, which is called Thin Place. It's these places that the Celts believed that the veil between heaven and earth was thin. So when you went there, you actually felt different. And uh, Glendalock is kind of a good example of that in just outside Dublin in the Dublin mountains. And then I said, well, that's an interesting concept. Well, what if we were a thin place for each other? What if someone came into our presence and because of the power of our presence, they felt different? And so I talk about what does that mean as well in leadership? Excellent. Oh, sounds uh, intriguing. I, uh, this one I have to put on my uh, my bucket list to, to read because I, I read about 100 books uh, a year. So it's definitely I, I like that style the way that uh, that you're structuring it. So that's something that uh, cool. yeah, I'm very interested in. So you might let people know how they can ca contact you. Sure. So um, simply you can go to my website, urbannugent.com. There's two things that uh, they may be interested in. One is I have a very active YouTube channel. I, I put out an educational video every Wednesday uh, on different topics of emotional intelligence. So go to YouTube and subscribe there and you'll get those videos. And then uh, there's also a, an introductory course to emotional intelligence, a free course, which I offer. And it's urbannugent.com forward slash gift. 
and they can get that there. And then they'll all the other, uh, the speaking, the training, and the book is all part of the website. Yeah, because I think on your website, you've got a lot of resources, don't you, that you... A lot of free resources. No, you do, yeah, in fairness, because not everybody does that. So I love when I see things like that. So fairness. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for me, you know, emotional intelligence is as good when you have tools to practice with. So part of my mission is to push out as many tools as possible, practical things. The book is that. The book is full of practical tools um, because it's uh, a concept is only as good when it's practiced. No, excellent. So I'll make sure I put all the links for your YouTube channel and the, the book, the whole lot of them on the podcast description and also on the video. So listen, Urban, it's been Cheers, a pleasure to speak with you. Really. Likewise. Thanks, Roy. Appreciate thank it. You. So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or on BitChute and YouTube, the Speaking Podcast. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, share with your friends, give us a five-star rating. Until next week, take care. This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code SPEAKING. Mm-hmm.